0: This text is about how to be elder shepherds in a suffering church. And the reason I say that is because I'm thinking back three weeks to the text just before this one. We had missions week in between. So go back with me uh, into the previous paragraph three weeks ago and remember verse 12. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So here's a church that is moving into an ordeal. They're in it already in part. We know that from chapter one because it talks about how to handle the present sufferings. And they're moving into something worse, evidently. And not only are they moving into suffering from men, but Peter tells them in verse 17 of chapter 4 that it is a judgment from God on the world, which starts at the house of God. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, on the basis of that, Here comes the ordeal. Here comes the fiery ordeal. And it is God purifying his body before he punishes the world. Therefore, verse 1, chapter 5. Therefore, I speak, I exhort the elders among you. This is Elder 101 for the suffering church. This is how to lead a suffering church. How to shepherd A suffering church. Now, keep that in mind because that's going to give you a special slant in a minute on how to read verses 2 through 4 of chapter 5. But first, let's just make three simple observations. These are real important and yet very, very easy to make observations. Number one, there were elders in the churches. There were elders in the churches. Now, that's significant To whom was this letter written? Chapter 1, verse 1, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Five big Roman provinces. How many churches? Dozens? Hundreds? It's hard to know. We're not sure quite when this was was, uh, written. And it's also not easy to know how many churches had been planted. But let's just say dozens to hundreds. Without qualification, without hesitation, Peter says, elders in the churches. They're all there. He just assumes there's elders in every church. That's the way the early church was led, shepherded by elders. He doesn't say "Uh, some churches have elders and others don't believe in them. He just said they're there. That's true in James which is also written to all the people of the dispersion. He assumes elders in every church. It's true of Paul. He appointed elders in every church. Acts 14. To our knowledge, there was no church without multiple elders in the New Testament. That's observation number one. Number two, the elders were shepherds. Now, the the noun shepherd or the fancy English word pastor, occurs one time in the New Testament in reference to leaders of the church. Namely, Ephesians 4.11. He is given some pastor teachers. Nowhere else. But the verb to do pastoring or to do shepherding occurs several times. For example, right here in verse 2 it says, Elders, your job is to shepherd the flock of God. So elders, shepherd. Or Jesus said to Peter in John 21, shepherd my sheep. Or uh, he said, uh, Paul said to the elders in Ephesus or the Ephesian elders in Miletus in Acts 20, 28. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So observation number two is very simple. Elders. Shepherd. The elders are the shepherds. So let's call them from now on elder shepherds or shepherding elders, elder slash shepherds. Here's observation number three. The elder shepherds are charged with oversight. See that there in verse two. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Now, oversight is not the only thing that elders are responsible to do. But of all the things that they are responsible to do, that's the one thing Peter mentions when he's talking to a suffering church. Strange. I would have probably chosen something different. What is it? Why this one task that elders have, why is that called attention to here, addressing a suffering church? The the word oversight has two parts, right? Oversight. Same thing in Greek. Episkopeo. Scope over. Look out over. It's the same thing. What does it mean? It means that elders are to look out over the flock. Not just look at a, a sheep. But look out over the flock and exercise a very special responsibility. You know, you know, elder shepherds are sheep. There's no confusion here, I hope. Elder shepherds are sheep under the chief shepherd. We're all sheep. We're all going our own way. We're all saved by the sacrifice of the chief shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, including the elder shepherds. But in the flock where everybody's a sheep, everybody's a priest. God calls some men to be sub-subordinate, he's the chief, they're subordinate, shepherds, shepherd elders, elder shepherds. And he gives them a special responsibility. And that's the key word here, not right, but responsibility or even accountability. And that special responsibility, according to this text, resides in this task, seeing over, which is Maybe, historically, one of the reasons why this pulpit is raised a little bit. It's to see out over. The job of the elders is to get the big picture in the church, realize the dangers facing the church, and act according to big issues around the church. And I say, that's not the only thing. That's all they do. They're forsaking other important things on the individual shepherding level. But that's what's highlighted here. So three observations. Very simple. There were elders in the churches. These elders shepherd. And when they shepherd, the main thing they do in this text is see over. They get the big picture. They try to discern what's at stake in the big picture and act Accordingly. Now as far as I can tell, all that's universal. There's nothing unique to a suffering church about that. All the churches had those elders, all the elders were shepherds, and they always oversaw the life of the church. But now we move to what Peter says about that oversight. And here the slant of suffering is, I think, significant. He says three things. Why these three? First, each of them has a negative and a positive. Negatively, we're in verse 2, about halfway through now. Exercise this oversight, elders, shepherds, not under compulsion, but positively, voluntarily, according to the will of God. Second, don't exercise your oversight for sordid gain, but positively, with eagerness. Thirdly, verse 3, Don't exercise your oversight as lording it over the flock, allotted to your charge, but positively proving to be examples to the flock. Now, here's my question. Why, in this setting, does Peter say, right off the bat, don't do your eldering if you don't want to. Don't do it under compulsion. Don't feel pressed into doing it. Don't feel coerced. What would ever bring to his mind that there are elders who don't want to be elders? That is the situation here. Elders who don't want to be elders. Right? And he's telling them, want to. Right? These are people evidently and there's some compulsion upon them to do the work of elder shepherding and, and they don't, they don't want to do it. They're acting under compulsion. And he says stop that. Either get out or volunteer. I don't want non-volunteers in the council. Right? Now where would that come from? What, what would create a situation where elders don't want to be elders? And, and my answer is suffering. If you are a leader in a body of people that are entering into a fiery ordeal where they'll be persecuted, that's a good time to get out. Because, just go back to, well, go to Romania. Romania. Go back to Romania, about 20 years. Who, who were the first people to go to jail? Richard Vermbrandt, his wife, Joseph's son. It's the pastors. The pastors went first. Everybody knew the pastors. The other people kind of come and went. Who were these Christians anyway? Well, we know he's a Christian because he's a pastor. He's an elder shepherd. So we take him. Well, that's not exciting. Or go back to the first century and just read the book of Acts. Who's the first one to drop? Stephen, Big Mouth Stephen, beautiful Big Mouth Stephen. I, I call him Big Mouth Stephen because we were having devotions this week at the breakfast table, or was it last week? It was last week. And we were we were in Acts seven. We're reading through Acts, and uh, I read Stephen's speech to the boys. Two boys. We've got two boys now. And uh, Barnabas is always responding to what I read. And he, when I got done with Stephen's speech, Barnabas said, "Daddy." It sounded like he was trying to get them upset. Because at the end, he said, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And and I read it kind of like maybe it would sound, you know, you stiff-necked people, you always... And Barnabas, 11-year-old Barnabas, said, Eddie, no wonder he got in trouble said yes he got himself killed in fact and he not only got himself killed he got other people killed and a persecution came upon jerusalem and scattered the christians all over and god did missions with stephen's big mouth that got himself killed it's a dangerous place to be to stand up and assume the word in a body of people where hostility is mounting go forward 5 chapters James is in jail. James, James, the apostle, and Peter, they're both in jail. James gets his head cut off. He's dead. He's gone. One of the top three. He's over. He's history. John, I don't know where he is. He's not in the picture there in Acts. Peter's in jail. His head's coming off tomorrow. Except that an angel rescues him. So the point is... Being elder shepherds of a people moving into a fiery ordeal is a dangerous thing to be. It would, if I were writing to a group like that, I would say, now look guys, I know there's starting to arise in your heart a desire not to be an elder. Suddenly it is. There is no glory in being an elder because there's this fiery ordeal. And I want you to want to be an elder. I want you to be the kind of men who do it voluntarily and not under compulsion. That's what I hear behind this first exhortation to the elders. Now, I was reading in my devotions this week, as many of you were, in John 10. And uh, I saw a connection between John and Peter. And the connection was this. It seems like, and I this is my first reading, I, I, it seemed like... When the fiery ordeal starts to come, what happens is that there's a division between the hirelings and the shepherds. I'll read it to you. In John 10, 12, it says, He who is a hireling, this is Jesus talking, He who is a hireling, that's an old-fashioned word for hired hand, not, not a real owner or lover of the sheep, but a hired hand. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep, and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. So danger divides the hirelings and the shepherds. That was my first thought. Danger and suffering. Wolves, the fiery ordeal, divides the the hirelings from the the shepherds. The shepherds stay, the hirelings go out of the dangerous position of, of getting in trouble. But but there's it, it something wrong. It didn't quite work. As I worked my way through the rest of this text, the thought that um, there is a purifying effect of suffering upon the eldership, and as it separates, doesn't quite cut it in this text. Because when you read the, the next two things that Peter says to the elders, namely watch out for sordid gain and watch out for lording it over the flock, what happens is that you see there are other motives that might hold you in the eldership even when you might want to leave, which are very ungodly motives, right? So even when they're suffering, you might stay because there's money. Or when there's suffering, you might stay because there's power. And here there's a nice comfort boost, and here there's a nice ego boost, and you'll take a few risks. And so Peter wants to address the situation. What about elders who stay in the eldership, even though they don't want to, because money attracts them and power attracts them? Let's just focus on each of these for a minute. It says in verse 2, near the end, Do not exercise your oversight for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not for sordid gain. What does that mean? It means don't do your job for money. Now, we don't pay our lay elders, except when they have extraordinary amounts of jobs to do. And so it would seem, well, there's no, no application here for them, just for you guys who get paid. And that's pretty true, except the human heart is a really deceptive idol factory. And there are ways, probably, that even a non-paid elder could figure out a way to turn his status as an elder into some kind of material gain. There's probably a way to do that. And so everybody, whoever is going to be or is now an elder, needs to pay close attention. It means to be motivated by money in the ministry it means for example in in us paid pastors that we're always thinking about vacation that's what we really think about we're thinking about our day off we're thinking about our retirement package we're thinking about our salary level we're thinking about the, the the perks and we don't think about the holy spirit we don't think about the bible and its preciousness we don't think about the value of a human soul or heaven or hell or worship or the dynamics of the spiritual life and the tremendous need to get people right with God and keep them right with God so that they persevere to the end. we're just always waiting for that day off so we can carve ducks or something. Go walk in the mall with wife. Do some planned coveting through the windows. It's what I call shopping. I never have understood shopping without the intention to buy, but... Some people do it as a pastime. If there's an elder like that at Bethlehem, may God have mercy upon us. Here's the other worldly motive, power. See this one now in verse 3. Don't exercise your, your uh, oversight lording it over those allotted to your charge. But proving to be examples. Take that phrase, lord it over. What does that mean? Lording it over. It means that, that the elder has begun to have a love affair with power. He likes to be praised. He likes to flaunt his authority and his dominance and his office. He likes the best places in the synagogue, as Jesus says, and takes the front row at the banquets. He likes to make long prayers for a pretense so the people will be wowed by his spirituality. He likes to trumpet his virtues in public and make sure that people know what he is doing. He craves people to be dependent upon him. Now we gotta be careful here because you might think, wow, well, I know, I know what that looks like. It, it really looks different from time to time. There, there are boisterous, loud types who are that way. And then there are, there are what you might call, uh, manipulators with pain. Pastors who manipulate with pain. Oh, poor me. And oh, if you only knew what I was going through. And it, they manipulate their flock not by a big, loud, boisterous, forceful personality, but by a kind of woundedness so that they get the, the, uh, strokes that they need. And the third kind is that there's the consummate politician. He knows whom to eat with and whom to greet and how to measure his words so that the power brokers in the congregation keep him in his nice, secure place of influence and authority. Peter says the way to test people like that is by example. He says what they should be doing is proving to be an example to the flock. What that means is You should look at your elders and say, is there a public elder and a private elder? What about his family? What about his finances? What about his children? What about his reputation in the community and among spiritual people? Is there another thing over here? And then the the thing here that's put forward at church. Sometimes we think that seasons of suffering will automatically purify the church. And it isn't true. It isn't true. That's the warning here. Because this text is addressing a suffering people, it is recognizing that an elder might not want to be an elder anymore in difficulty, but it raises the horrible specter that he might stay on for money and he might stay on for power even when he really doesn't love it anymore. The love affair is over. And that's what Peter is so concerned about. And we as a church should be so vigilant. You as sheep in a congregational church like this should be so vigilant in prayer and in watching, lest you ever install into the eldership someone like that or allow to remain In the eldership, someone like that. So the final question I have is, where does the power to love, like he's describing, come from? I see love in the phrase, exercise oversight with eagerness. Voluntarily, with eagerness, not for sordid gain. Not under compulsion, with eagerness. What what does that mean? It means, let the leaders of the church want to do their work. Let them love to shepherd. Let them desire to shepherd. Let them delight in shepherding. Don't do it under compulsion. Have a team of leaders who love to do the work of the ministry. Who love to minister to people's needs and do the work of the oversight and gather the flock and seek the lost. Where's that come from? How do you sustain that in suffering? Because every human being in suffering wants to start pitying himself, right? And blaming. And that won't be love. That's not eagerness. The calling here is remarkable. Where does it come from? How's it sustained? Answer verse four, and with this we close. When the chief shepherd comes, okay, all you all you elder shepherds, you've got a chief shepherd. You're going to give an account. When the chief shepherd comes, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, I, I know a lot of pastors, and I'm in touch with pastors every week across the country. And uh, I don't know of any pastor right now who says my job is easy. I know a lot of lay elders, some in this church and some outside. I don't know any who would say, it's a breeze. It's a piece of cake. It's easy. And all the ones that I know, and they're almost all incredibly qualified, godly men, don't do it for money, and they don't do it for power. You know why they do it? They do it because they love ministry And they have in their mind this promise, my chief is coming someday soon. And when he comes, he's going to do different kinds of assessing and reckoning. But one of the things he's going to do, and he'll probably do it first, he's going to gather a group of men out of every church. Over the history of that church, he's going to gather a group of men. It'll be hundreds probably at this church. This church is 123 years old this year. Then hundreds of leaders. He's going to gather those people out of their graves and off the face of the earth. And he's going to ask them some questions. He's going to say, did you feed my flock? Did you oversee my flock? Did you get the big picture? Did you guard the deposit of my truth? Did you protect that church from the wolves? No matter what it cost. And did you love them? And when he gives the answer to those questions, he's going to take a crown. I wonder where he's going to get this crown. Off his own head? He's going to take a crown and he's going to give it to each one of glory. And it'll be worth it. Brothers, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. God is doing something real special in Bethlehem right now. Real special. Open your eyes. It's primarily located in the Ministries of Mercy system, small groups elders, deacons, and all of you who went to the Ministries of Mercy's weekend and who are thinking about the Ministry of Mercy seminar coming up. And what he's doing is spreading out the brokering of grace and mercy in this church in a most remarkable way. He is teaching us some new things about pastoring, about how the pastor and the elders cannot do it alone, but rather it is meant to be done by all to all. And that means you're involved and that means, I just plead with you, open your ears, open your eyes, dream a dream and listen because God is calling. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, I bless you for the church of Jesus Christ that you bought with his blood. It is an incredible privilege to be a member in the body of the living Christ. And it is a blessing to be an elder shepherd. And those of us who are, thank you for it. And oh, may our hearts rise to this call not to do things under compulsion, not to do things for sordid gain, not to do things as lording it over, but to do things in an exemplary way, in lowliness, in eagerness, in voluntariness, in love. Oh, Lord, work that and every level of the ministries of mercy, I pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen.